to the 69th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this, our Future Skills episode, I speak with Anne Scrimshaw, artist, engineer and Fab Lab manager at Sandwell College, who gives us an overview of the Fab Labs model and how it's revolutionising STEM education around the world. She also shares her thoughts about ways to better engage girls and other underrepresented groups. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on X, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Anne Scrimshaw and she is Fab Lab Manager at Sandwell College. Anne, welcome. How are you? Yes, I'm, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yes, lovely to uh, speak to you, Fiona. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you and, and Fab Lab sounds like my kind of place. So I had to speak with you, for if nothing else, than for the name of, of the lab. <laughs> yes. I do get lots of people uh, just keep saying fab after the, the, when we're having conversations. Fab, that's amazing, fab. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, here to talk with you as well. So we've got some hopefully interesting questions to go through. So if we could start off, if that would be all right, by asking you to give us a bit of an overview of your educational background today, your career today, and who is Anne Scrimshaw? Yes. Well, I always start these sort of conversations by saying I blame my father because he got me into racing hovercraft when I was a teenager and so I raced hovercraft for about 20 years and when I started which was in the 80s you couldn't just buy a hovercraft off the shelf so you had to make them yourself so I got into making and finding it perfectly normal to sort of have to rebuild an engine or something in the middle of a field so I decided to go and do automotive engineering at university, as one does, and then started working in bearings after university, which, which was lovely, fine and dandy. So sort of linear bearings for big sort of machine tools, rotary bearings for all sorts of things. So I was an application engineer and companies would come along and say, right, we've got this application for whatever it was, an artificial knee joint, a Formula One car. I think we even did bearings for Wembley Stadium. I mean, it was just many and varied and uh, we'd have to calculate what the loads were on the bearings the life and everything like that and uh, I enjoyed that for quite a few years but it was quite technical and I'm quite creative as well so then I decided to go to art college and uh, I started teaching art as one does (laughs) so complete career change and I thought oh maybe I've started off doing something wrong but but then I heard about fab labs so a fab lab is a makerspace. It's a place where people can make almost anything. And when I heard about them, I went, this is my dream job. This is engineering and art and making things and inspiring others to make things. This is fantastic. And so I I heard the job came up about eight years ago for the Fab Lab at Sandwell College for the manager's job. And I said, I'm going to have to apply for this. And so everything I'd ever done 
all the making, all the creative stuff came together in the Fab Lab. And yeah, that's eight years later, here I still am, yeah. Wow. So the Fab Lab was there before you got there? We started it eight years ago. The concept of Fab Labs was actually started in America at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology about 20 years ago. They realised, you know, they were doing some quite in-depth research on things and needed to get PhD students to actually make equipment for their research project because they didn't exist. And so the guy created a course that was how to make almost anything. And then he needed a workshop to go with that. And he called it the Fab Lab. So it's a fabrication laboratory. And he started this course and he thought he'd get like 10 research students. And he ended up with about 100 people who all wanted to make like mad things. And he realized there was this real creative urge from a lot of people just to make weird things. Well, not say weird things, all sorts of things. And so then the concept sort of expanded across the world, really. There's lots of different fab labs. I think we're the only one in a further education college in the country. But there's, there's probably, you know, about another sort of 15, 20 other fab labs around the country and universities and some of them are community projects and things. Wow. So, so you can yeah. kind of hang out with other fab lab people if you wanted to. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm inviting myself to come and visit now. You probably don't want me to come and visit. but uh, <laughs> No, no. So we, we it's do not a threat. Have, <laughs> we, we do have public coming in every other afternoon on a Monday. And we do some courses and things like that to encourage people to actually make things. So, yeah, we do public engagement as well. Wow. That's part of our remit. Oh, wow. And if we were to imagine you on a day to day basis and what would we be imagining you doing? I'm thinking all kinds of exciting things. It does vary. And I usually struggle to answer this because it varies. And then I have to think, what have I been doing like the last week or so? So yesterday I was teaching construction students how to do CAD, computer-aided design. Then I have also had childcare in and we were doing STEM, what they could do, STEM engagement activities for naught to six-year-olds. And we got cocktail sticks and, and raisins and built some structures. And then we got some little robots out that you can code, pictorially. really. So robots that six-year-olds could play with. And talking about how you could engage, you know, young children. But the Fab Lab actually works completely across curriculum. And this is an important point, I think, always to make. We're not just working with engineering and product design or art or anything like that. It is completely across curricula because technology is becoming embedded in all subjects really now. But we also work with businesses. We've just won the Black Country Chamber Award for innovation in some of the work we've done with businesses and also community groups and artists and things like that. So as a model, we need one of these like everywhere, surely. Yes. I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's necessarily cheap in itself, but at the same time, it is incredibly engaging. I mean, we, we get people in and they just they just don't want to go. <laughs> <That wasn't laughs> <me. laughs> so I think people love the concept. And, and what we do is traditionally you teach people what you're told to teach them on the curriculum, whereas we try and teach people what they need to know when they need to know it. And that way helps it to stick, really. And it, it means that it is more engaging. It's more hands-on, very practical making skills. And people are quite excited by it, yeah. Oh, and why were you not doing this? When I was <laughs> learning this stuff, we had CDT. And it was just really hard work. And if you didn't do it the right way, 
or if you didn't follow all the rules, whatever, then you didn't get very far with it. And I just didn't enjoy it. We had the, the kit. They were, they were trying the best. But I just love this approach. This is the approach that's going to bring STEM to the masses. We need all these STEM skills. We need you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and the demands for the skills. So technologies so 3d printing ai virtual reality and other things the evolution of these skills how is that affecting the skills landscape yeah i mean that was another thing i was trying to do today is looking at what courses we should be putting on because the local area the west midlands combined authority (laughs) has surveyed local companies and going what skills do you need and they've really highlighted that these stem skills digital skills everything like that are all the ones that they desperately need And obviously, as a college, our remit is is to try and meet some of that. And so, yeah, we've done lots of projects with lots of different areas. One of the projects we did last year was with the health and social care team. And it was using things like virtual reality to do hospital simulations so that when the students are going into a, a hospital, it's not too new. They can actually do a simulation in VR and tells them first, do your PPE and things like that. And so you get a real world experience of of what it's like to be in a hospital before you actually walk in the hospital. So technology is, like I say, becoming embedded across all areas, really. I've got five million people that I'd love to introduce you to because I think you're the future. So no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) And what are the challenges of training for roles that there's all these new roles that are emerging and they might not exist yet? So you've got to educate the next generation for all of these roles, but we don't even know what all the roles are yet because they haven't been thought of yet. No. So one of the things we try and do with students is future skills. And so, for example, we'll show the car body students the 3D printers and they'll go, what do we want to know about the, the 3D printers, miss? And I go, well, so we can print in ABS and, and you can make car bumpers out of ABS. It's a type of plastic that is very resilient to impacts and things like that. So you can make car bodies out of this plastic bumpers out of this plastic with 3D printers. So in the future, you'll be able to go into a car body shop if you've broken your car and they'll be able to 3D print you a car body like the car bumper that is the right colour and matches your car. And the, the students say to me, well, that's us out of a job. And I go, no. Because you'll know about 3D printing, whereas guys who've been doing it for years, they won't. So you'll keep your job and maybe the other people won't. And so one of the things we're trying to do is show them the new technology because 3D printing is is coming on leaps and bounds. You can still see it's got a way to go, but at least they have understanding of what it is. So that's, that's trying to help them with their future skills. But also, I think fundamentally engineering and things like that, there's some things, how to problem solve, having curiosity, all of these things and, and teamwork and, and communication. These are skills that are never going to go out of, of fashion. We all need them. And also thinking about fundamentally what are the core skills that you will need in the future. So it's, it's also important to, to make sure that the students are, are all hot on problem solving or whatever. That's also important. So can I briefly ask you about T-levels, because they're a thing now. I knew they were coming, but I didn't know huge amounts about them. What is a T-level? So is it basically like a kind of technical A-level? I've had it explained to me as basically you you take the the academic rigour of an A-level, you take the work experience of an apprenticeship, and then some of those technical bits 
practical things of a BTEC. So fundamentally, it sounds a great idea. From a delivery point of view, it's incredibly difficult because we struggle to find a week's work experience for a student. With T levels, I think they need to do 40 days or something like that. Wow. So fundamentally, it's difficult to get the work experience. Then what do you do with the lecturers from a college point of view? What do you do with the lecturers while the students are doing 40 days work experience? So there's a technical college point of view. And then there's also a, a problem that the BTECs are being phased out, but not everybody's academically up to a level to be able to do the T levels. And so we're fundamentally, we're going, what are we going to do with these? We haven't got a qualification if the BTECs are being phased out. These students, they're not quite ready for this level. And so while it seems a brilliant idea, actually logistically of getting it to work yeah. is a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the BTECs are being defunded. So from a business point of view, the college's business point of view, it's something like, my goodness, what are we doing? Most of our business is going to disappear. Yeah. But I suppose on the flip side, I'm speaking to so many companies who are like, we need these skills. We need these people. Yeah. I'm sure you've got really good employer links already. But if there were more employers in the mix who would step up and be prepared to be able to provide this extra experience, yeah. it could be a good thing. But it sounds like the logistics of it, it's still bedding in and it's still challenging. Yes. And I think we hear from employers that, that they're keen to get involved, but then you go, right, okay, week on Tuesday, can you make it? But well, I'm a bit busy actually that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, and I think we, the colleges, I think from our point of view, we need to do more work on that side of things as well. But it is, yeah, it, it's getting that link. And I think at the moment, we're, it's not quite there. But, you know, in the future, who's to say it won't? Um, and in terms of the age-old question, getting more girls and women into STEM, uh, how do we move away from this whole shrink it and pink it? So I, whether or not we're a similar age, but when <laughs> I used to play with Lego, it was just, it was red and it was yellow and it was blue and it was white and you just built stuff and there was no girly version of something to build and there were bricks and there was, I used to like doing houses. I had this house I always used to build. I think yep. I'm probably a frustrated architect somewhere along the line, <laughs> but now I think they're trying to ungender stuff, but there has been a lot of gendering of things. So how do we, yes, your opinion, what, what do we need to do? And also other yeah. underrepresented groups as well, because it's not just girls, is it? There's other groups that we're perhaps missing out on engaging with as well. Yes. So I call it the pinkification of girls. And I think there is a fundamental problem with our attitudes. And I remember someone saying to me, they're just not interested and which I was quite deeply offended by really we think that interest comes first and then knowledge comes second but I know as I said I went into bearings and quite honestly I wasn't that bothered by bearings before I started working in bearings however now I can talk for hours about bearings and so I realized that actually sometimes knowledge comes before interest but if we're not telling small children and girls in particular about certain subjects you know sometimes we have to take the car apart and I think well my daughter want to see inside the car and then I think no maybe she won't be interested and I think no 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 I have to show her and I'm thinking if I'm thinking that what do other people think and that there is this attitude that girls just don't do certain things that if someone comes into the fab lab and wants to talk about woodwork they don't approach me first they approach one of the men even if one of the men doesn't know anything about woodwork or whatever and so it is this expectation that women won't know 
which I think is what we need to get round and this expectation that women won't be interested. But I think some of the things that we need to get across is a lot of people don't understand what engineering is. And so that is also a problem in that I think there is a perception that engineers stand next to a lathe all day and machine things. And so we have to get over this, actually engineering is about problem solving. And I think a lot of women are interested in problem solving and they're interested in solving problems like the environment and things like that. And so it's getting across, A, what is engineering and actually B, that actually they'd be quite good at it and that it also involves communication and teamworking and all these other visual skills, all these things that women are brilliant at. And also the reason why we need to do this is that obviously we're saying STEM subjects and, and technology and everything like that is, is becoming bigger and more embedded across all areas. But also, if we're not careful, things aren't made for women. There was a brilliant book recently, I think it was called Invisible Women, and it was saying about how crash test dummies are actually, traditionally, they were based on male bodies. I've got that book. I was reaching to try and find it, but it's not on the shelf behind me, so I can't whip it out and impress you. To be honest, I've only read the reviews on Amazon, but it was quite interesting. (laughs) But it was about how things were designed for men and not for women. And I thought, on the reviews in Amazon, there was a lot of, uh, you know, indignation about this is terrible, more women should be represented. And I thought, well, we've got two answers here, rather. We can get very annoyed about this and this is fine. Or we can actually be in the room when we're designing cars, can't we? I mean, I know because I did automotive engineering, when I walked in my first lecture, there was me and 80 blokes. I mean, after two weeks, Sue joined as well. So there we go. There was me and Sue and 80 blokes. And so we are incredibly underrepresented. And so we can't necessarily ask someone else to know what we need. Yeah. And so this is also why we need minority groups and disabled people and everything like that to be involved in this making process and, and thought process and design process. Adaptations that are created for the few are often enjoyed by the many. Drop curbs, which maybe we put in for disabled people in wheelchairs. Everyone with a pushchair can use it. I am often carting wheeled things around when I'm going to STEM engagement events with 3D printers and robot dogs, and it stops me spilling them across the road. So all these useful things, adaptations, like I say, aren't just for the minority. They end up being used by the majority. And so it makes the product or whatever we're making better for everyone. And that's why we need to be more inclusive. I think you're absolutely right. And something in previous discussions we've had with people, so I've snuck this in here, but also the, the aligning people to the whole, I think probably most younger people would have an interest in things like climate and that side of things as well. But so linking up with things like the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I do like that. There's about 17 <laughs> of them, but there'll be ones around yeah. equity. There'll be ones around climate. There'll be ones around things like that. But it, But it's easier to think of... I care about all of those things rather than thinking, well, I care about designing this bearing for somebody. It's much easier to yes. think, I want to do something that's going to help these people or I want to do something that's going to save the planet or something like that. So maybe it's the framing, isn't it, as well, potentially? Yes, because it can be very abstract and there's a huge range of different jobs in, in technology and things like that. But yes, other than saying, oh, why not go into this technology job? Going, why not create a thing that will create clean water for this family or something like that or looking at novel energy generation systems or a way to grow food using technology I I think is more concrete and, and more understandable I think it will engage people better 
yeah, I think we're solving this all. And I think we just need to get our heads together. And I think we'll just solve it all. So, so, so this is amazing. Thank you so much. So how can the womanthology community, and there are a lovely bunch of people, there's women, there's men, there's everybody. How can the womanthology community engage with the work that you're doing? What would you like from our community of peoples? We've got people in the UK, we've got people overseas as well. A lot of social media engagement, things like that. But what can we do for you? As I said, there are fab labs across the world. So maybe find your local fab lab and, and get engaged. Think about making. I like the idea of, of people making things for themselves, not just buying things off the shelf. And I think that all helps with the environment as well. But also, when we're talking to, to young children or even older, older women, don't just assume that they can't or not going to, or won't be interested. And I think we all have to change our attitudes and change our expectations of, of what everyone's capable. And I think that includes ourselves as well. I think there's a lot of people, women especially, who think, oh no, I can't do that. It's like, actually, you probably can. And, and so it's trying to change everyone's attitude. Yeah, you can. You probably just never tried or or yeah. encouraged you to try. But actually, when you tried, you might be a brilliant electrical engineer, or you might be a brilliant designer of new things or whatever but you've just probably never had the chance yep so just enjoy making something oh, oh, I re- oh I'm, I'm so excited about all this now so excited so <laughs> Anne, what is coming up next for you what are you looking forward to that can be in work that can be out of work that can be anything you like that's a good question yeah um, I, I've done quite a few things recently I just did um a TEDx talk for TEDx Women Wolverhampton I'm not quite sure what's just just onwards and upwards really more more making, more encouraging people to make things. Looking forward to Christmas, really. <laughs> Having a week off, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, Anne Scrimshaw, Fab Lab Manager at Sandwell College, it has been the greatest pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us. No problem. It's been lovely. Bye. In this section of the show, we hear about the contributors who have shared their stories in our new written issue. The stories include Lucy Standing, founder of Brave Start CIC, a social enterprise dedicated to helping individuals transition into new careers, shares the work she and her team are doing to engage with the over 50 workforce as a solution to labour market challenges. Lucy discusses why we need to encourage employers to be more experimental and brave and explains why this is a leadership opportunity rather than a followership opportunity. Emma Harrison, Managing Director at Why Change, a South Yorkshire-based apprenticeship training provider, discusses harnessing the power of skills matrices and occupational maps to develop careers. Emma encourages employees to be curious and to go digging to find information about the skills they will need to be successful in their chosen careers. Steph Sargent is one of the directors of Bristol Braille a UK-based technology company that developed the world's first multi-line Braille e-reader called Canute. Steph discusses working alongside company founder Ed Rogers in the development of the Canute, a revolutionary device that's transformed the way visually impaired people read and interact with digital text. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. 
Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. This is our final podcast for 2023, so please do join us for our next podcast episode when we return in 2024. In the meantime, happy holidays.